welcome to Good Chris Elfian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily news feed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another talk. This week, we're listening to an exhortation by Brother Samuel Ladson from the Clayton Ecclesia uh, that was given back in 2020 uh, in October. And the subject of his exhortation is the idea of truth. Uh, and he spends just a few minutes talking about in his exhortation. It's a little bit of a shorter one, but I thought it was a really good recap of looking at the word truth and how it gets used in today's day and age and then what we tend to mean of it as Christadelphians and how that reflects our faith on God and how we refer to it when we're talking to other uh, to other people and other Christadelphians. So, uh, like I said, it's a little bit of a shorter exhortation, but I think the, the subject of it was really, really excellent. Um, and it was a good reminder of how you know, one word can have so many different meanings, which I just found to be a really interesting kind of glance at the word truth and how we sometimes will use the, the term of the truth when we're referring to our faith. So um, I hope you enjoy this exhortation. It was a suggestion that somebody wrote in uh, to recommend. And uh, thank you again for those recommendations for the person who sent this particular one in and for all the recommendations that we get. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this exhortation by Brother Samuel Ladson on the subject truth. Um, but the quote that came to me while I was putting this together I'm reliably told, I haven't actually seen the film. Um, it comes from a few good men. Some of you might be familiar with it. Um, it's, it's a, I want the truth and you can't handle the truth. Today, I want to talk about this, this truth, which so much of us seem to have trouble handling. Um, I want to have a look at the different types of truth and the way it's dealt with, the way Jesus deals with these types of truth according to the Gospels. And I want to finish by having a look at the continued importance for striving towards this ideal of truth despite our circumstances and it being a cornerstone of Christian life. We believe the life of Christ to be an ideal one, morally speaking. He teaches in Matthew 5.48 that, uh, and you Probably won't have time to look up the quotes. I'm going to go through a few of them. Uh, we're going to be pushed for time, I think. Um, but he says in Matthew 5.48 that we should be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. It's a tall order. In his support for the numerous teachings of the gospel, James, in his book, picks up this theme and uses the word perfection numerous times. It's, it's interesting to watch out for when you're reading the book of James. Perfection is an ideal by definition, and I think our society has only a cookie-cutter understanding of what either ideal or perfection actually means. I feel these days they're treated more, uh, more like a New Year's resolution, to be aimed at and then abandoned as soon as they become impractical, which is, of course, ridiculous, because ideals are the very definition of what is impractical. However, 
paradoxically, they are also the only things that allow us to practically improve. The word we know as perfect is, um, is teleon in the Greek or tamim in the Hebrew. And perfect's a great translation for these words. But by digging a little bit into what um, tamim and teleon actually mean, we can get a slightly a more fleshed out idea. They, they carry these ideas of wholeness uh, or integrity. Uh, James uses the word completeness next to it as well. And this means having our thoughts, words, and actions all in a straight line, all in one accord, um, without anything missing off to the side, uh, which is, of course, only possible in the spirit of Christ. It hinges on our ability to be true. Broadly speaking, there are three ways in rhetoric to convince someone of something. And these three types of truth that I want to look on reflect these appeals. Um, these are the appeals to logos, to pathos, to ethos. If you remember back to your high school English classes, they are reason, emotion, and integrity. And it makes sense, broadly speaking, that the three different ways to try and convince someone each offer a different window into what the whole truth is. We will see this in the form I want to pitch this to you. I like to call the tricycle of truth. It's not a very grand name, I'm afraid. Um, but I must admit, a pet peeve of mine is when people argue over exactly what the truth is without being true themselves. And the model of this truth tricycle is designed to highlight this. So the first truth I want us to look at is... Um, what I like to call, or what most of us think of as objective truth. It's the scientist's truth, as it were. This, these truths are consistent within the systems we use to measure them, um, although they're not always entirely knowable. Um, they're largely scientific or literary in nature. Things like the earth orbits the sun, or all bachelors are unmarried, or two times 30 is 60. Now, these truths are great, but in many ways, they're the least important because they're true regardless of what we do ourselves. They're big enough to take care of themselves, so to speak. The second truth I wanted to look at is the, well, I call it the politician's truth. Um, it's not that it's subjective in a that's your opinion kind of way, but it is relative to a certain extent. Um, this is truth that's based on relative importance to the individual. Things like whales are important, sure. Okay, hard to argue, or my aunt loves me. Now, these can be objectively true as well, just as much as the truth number one, but the problem is that the immediate impact of these true statements is based on perspective. It might be true that, say, Mary Sue's dog killed all her chickens over in Italy, but it doesn't affect me the same way that a fire in the black spur might. It relies on sentiment and time and place in order to make these impacts of this truth felt. And it doesn't detract from how objectively true the statement is, but it is defined by this pathos or our inclination to care, which is exactly Rhett Butler's final problem in Gone with the Wind after Scarlett's inconsistencies. Now, speaking of inconsistencies, this brings us to the last and what I think is the most important window on truth. So far, we've looked at what I like to call the two back wheels on my truth tricycle. They are what they are and we can't change them. The last is our front wheel and it's the only type of truth that we can change. 
and it's based on our integrity. In short, it lies within our ability to keep our word or to break it. And it's, it's where we steer, um, so to speak. It's uh, one's intention. It's the amount of faith that any single person has in your ability to mean what you say, say what you mean, and do as you say. This truth is aligned to ethos. Um, we get the word ethics from this. It's the truth that Jesus is most concerned about, I think, in his ministry. So far, all the truths we've examined, that is the, the logos truth, the, um, uh, sorry, logos, and as using the word reason there, a uh, slightly reductive term, especially the way we normally philosophically use it, um, or, or the pathos truth. These, these have to do with past and present, the facts, so to speak. But this, this integral truth lies in our ability or inclination to do as we will in future events. Um, this is the type of truth people have faith in because it hasn't happened yet. And I think this type of truth is the most powerful because it directly lies within our power as to whether or not we make it true. Truth and lies, especially when it comes to our own integrity, is a central theme for Jesus. The truth of the gospel is not found in abstract law or relativistic uh, cares, it, but in the central message that God has given us mercy despite our failings and we should seek to reflect his characteristic, um, the characteristic of always being true to your word, um, if, if I want to be reductive. Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 29, this is the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is whole, he is complete, he is perfect. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And be perfect, be complete like him. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself and no other commandment are greater than these. Love as we know is a verb. It is not, it cannot be known without being done. If anyone claims to love God, but hates his brother, we know he is a liar. And lying, not just in word, but in deed, is so counter to the Gospels, so counter to truth, that the antithesis of Jesus' message is literally called the slanderer, that is the devil. This focus on true thought and action is emphasised in Matthew 5.37. Again, you have heard it, said by the ancients, do not break your oath, but fulfill vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor should you swear by your head, for you cannot make a single hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no, and anything more comes from evil, comes from slander, comes from lying. If one is to lie about the sun or about whales, it doesn't change the hard reality. But when we lie against our own integrity, against our own word, we rob others of a measure of free will, especially if they're depending on us. And we end up damaging our own reputations and the reputations of those we represent, namely God. The other truths are just not as important when we compare them to the daily struggle of truth and lies in us all but don't take my word for it. Let's have a look at a couple of cases where Jesus emphasizes integrity over truth one or truth two, opinion and even reality itself. 
in Mark 12, the Pharisees, the Pharisees attempt to trap Jesus um, with truths about relativistic cares. Is it true that taxes are important? Is that, is that a true statement? Taxes are important. You're familiar with the passage, but pay attention to how each party advocates for each different type of truth. Teacher, they said, we know that you're honest and you seek to favour no one. Indeed, you are impartial and you teach the word of God, listen to this, in accordance with the truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or not? But Jesus sees through their hypocrisy and says, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to inspect. So they brought it and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscriptions? Caesar's, they answered. And Jesus told them, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Or um, perhaps when some men try to draw Jesus in, asking him about objective past events, they wanted to know who was in, who was out, who was righteous, who wasn't, objectively speaking. Luke 13 verses 1 to 5. There were present some at that season, some told him of the Galileans whose blood piloted mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them saying, suppose you then that the Galileans were sinners above all other Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you no, but except you repent, you will also likewise perish. Or perhaps the 18 whom upon the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but Except you repent, you will also likewise perish. Jesus' message is subtle. Dead, sooner or later, it doesn't matter. You can't change the past. All sinners are equal, but they're still sinners. Repent and walk in the truth. It's that front wheel. It's the only thing you can change. A recognition, however, has to be made about our ability to achieve this perfect truth in our actions. It isn't realistic, it's idealistic. It is important to realise, that doesn't make it less important, by the way, it is important to realise that in the course of justice, none should see salvation, if I am able to quote Shakespeare there. A distinction must be made between what is ideal and what is practical. We know that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But like so many of us have realised, school is often a lot softer than real life. Uh, and Jesus takes this law, which seems to be soft, and he shows us what that ideal is. Let's have a look at the um, interaction between ideals and mercy that Jesus extends us. A classic one can be found in Mark 10, verse 2. The Pharisees came up to him in order to test him and asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? What's the law say? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus says to them, it is because of your hardness of heart that he wrote you this commandment. So what's the truth here? The ideal is clear. Divorce and adultery is wrong. Jesus also acknowledges that there is provision in this case for the practical as well. But he's not permissive about it. Sin is still sin. But neither is he impractical. God's mercy covers our weakness. We see this when the Pharisees bring him a woman caught in the very act of adultery, and he doesn't shy away from either what the ideal is or the practicality of it. Let's have a look at it in John 8, verse 5. Now, in the law, 
Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, they said. But what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they had heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older, and and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither then do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here we see Jesus is tolerant, but he's not permissive. He holds up the ideal, but he gives us a way out as well, a way to continue to aim towards this. And I think this is the point that I myself personally often miss. We hate admitting to our sin, and while we do not love to do so, we are often prejudiced in our thoughts against people who sin differently to us, shall we say. It's as if by tolerating, we are granting permission to sin. Jesus does not say, go, sin, be selfish, I'll take care of it. He says to go and sin no more. Our society, however, really isn't one for dusting itself off and aiming at the ideal again. It's a, it's a hyper-practical one. It will change its mind like Mary Contrary and betray even the best intentions for personal gain. They have no time for starry-eyed idealists making the world a better place. Now, I'm using exclusive language, but um, I shouldn't be. We are often like this too. We betray our own intentions more often than we care to admit. And if you admit it, you all know what it's like to feel betrayed. It's that heart-in-the-mouth feeling, that sickening jerk when you uh, take something for granted and it wasn't there, like, a, like an extra step in a staircase. It's when you go to take that step and find it missing. You literally are putting all your faith in that step. and You believe both consciously and unconsciously that it will be there for you, but it's not. There's this this drop in the stomach and you just have to be careful not to fall down the stairs. So now we see the tricycle. See, all types of truth are important. The triangle is one of the strongest structures we can get, but the only one that's really important is that front wheel, because it's the only one we can control. It's the truth that is faith-based. This is the most important one for this reason. And I don't want to be reductive, but the book of James agrees with me. He sees it as a a fitting summary of Jesus' teachings, um, which so much of James covers. Um, Chapter 5, verse 12 from the book of James, he says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do what you say, mean what you say, say what you do, so that no one will fall under judgment. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of, of things unseen. We use, we use this passage from Hebrews all the time. We'll say, I'll meet you in such and such a place or I'll, I'll pay you back a such and such an amount or the famously Australian, ah, should be right. These are all expressions of faith. They're appeals to integrity, and our faith in God is no different. James 2, verse 18 to 19, he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. I'll pay you back. 
you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. All right. The belief in God isn't truth number one. It's not truth number two. It's truth number three. It is this faith-based truth. I, I label the truths as if they're different, but I want just to look at like the different windows looking in at the same thing um, because time doesn't stick to God the way we, we try and make it sometimes. Just as we trust each other to behave in a particular way, our faith in God is not leaning on objective truth or perspective truth as much as it is on his integrity. God will not let us down. We will trust that good wins, that God wins, and that as an extension of this, we must hold up our end of the bargain. Aim to be, as Jesus says, perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, whole, complete. Now, the reason I had James 1 read was because it underpins so nicely everything that I wanted to talk about. I, I didn't have time to go through it verse by verse, but he talks about the transience of material wealth, uh, the importance of the idea over the material, uh, the importance of character, of not judging others. It is a, it's a window into the entire book of James, which itself is a gut punch to those Christians who are double-minded, selfish and seeking to fit in with the trends of society. So most of us. James reminds us that the double mind, it isn't for us. We can't have our right hand betraying our left, so to speak. We have to be strive to be, for our mind to be whole, perfect, um, like God's, full of integrity and selflessness. The life of Christ was an affirmation of that perfect wholeness and while his death was in submission to the ideal, however impractical it seemed, it was also necessary as an expression of grace and mercy, that without which we would perish beneath justice. All right, to sum up, action-based truth is at the heart of the Gospels, and it's the true benchmark for righteousness. It is a truth that is acted out in faith. It, in the same way we trust that God is good, that we foster a similar faith in him by others through our own reliability and integrity. We must reflect him, so to speak. A divide also needs to be made between the practical acknowledgement that we fail and that the best we can hope for is that we pick ourselves up again and take another run at that shining ideal, like a plant reaching for the sun. If we abandon that ideal in our selfishness, our complacency or our need to fit in, we don't change what is objectively true, but only our ability to reflect it. And lastly, the teachings of Christ are a set of teachings that refuse to yield the idealism of the way to practicality and circumstance. It refuses to call good bad and bad good. It refuses to call what is expedient ideal in a world where the more practical it is, the more valuable it is. Yet the same, with the same breath, it also, he, he also refuses to let us rest in the mire of our circumstance. He doesn't leave us in the mud. He encourages us to stand up, to dust ourselves off and to aim true once more. And Jesus is practical in doing so, but only to enable us to aim above our sin once more. He emphasizes that good isn't a destination, it's a direction.
Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash GCT or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.